Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, Season 4, Episode 3, for Saturday the 19th of June 2021. And coming up on this week's show, I'll be updating you on the first two weeks of the Digital Nomad Project in Spain. I've got a very handy BookBub resource for you and some BookBub feature deal news and why I may be ditching Scrivener after all this time. First, though, let's talk about the Digital Nomad update, because when you left me two Saturdays ago with the latest podcast diary update, I wasn't even sure whether we were going to get out of the country or, you know, all the usual travel restrictions. Well, I think I just told you that we'd had our second COVID vaccine before we left. We left on the Sunday. We drove from home to Newcastle Airport. I was keen to cut out as many public transport steps as possible. We got on the the plane at Newcastle, very, very quiet at Newcastle Airport, you know, the partially full plane or mostly empty plane, to be honest with you. Uh, We were on the the wide seat, so there was nobody around us. So the travel felt perfectly safe. And then we got a taxi. We booked a taxi from Alicante Airport. We stayed overnight in Alicante. And then that was on the Sunday. And then on the Monday, uh, we got up, had breakfast in the city. I went for a run in the city as well. I always go for a run when I'm in these places. And we went to pick up our, uh, basically our our residency cards. So we had to um, find our way on the local buses to the office where they give out the residency cards. And we had to join this long queue. And uh, it was it's just a queue. You don't make an appointment. There's just a long queue there. And I think we arrived maybe about 11.30 and it closed at something like two. And we were in this queue, this great long snake of a queue, and it just kept inching forward. And then I got through the gate. They, they, had, they always have two police officers there. So I got through the gate and I was kind of within the confines of, of, of the government building. And my wife was on the other side of the gate. And so we could kind of wave, wave at each other over the border almost. And then everything stopped moving and the word went out that the computer system had completely crashed. So we were sitting there, I was in the shade, Um, my wife had just got in the shade of a tree, um, but everybody else was in in the baking sunshine. And the word got out that the computers had crashed, no one knew how long it would take. And they were basically saying to people, if you want to, you can go or you can stay if you want to. And I just thought, well, you know, a computer crash shouldn't take that long to fix. And looking at where we were in the queue, I thought, mm, you know, we'll make it. Even if we get the last half hour, we'll make it. The only problem was, of course, that my wife was on the other side of the gate. So I thought it's highly likely that they'll just cut off those people who are on the inside. And then the people on the outside, it'll be hard luck. So it was a little bit tense for a while. Anyhow, cut a long story short, the computers went back up and we got through and we got our document. So I've now got my official residency card for Spain. Hooray! How long have we been working on that? That that instantly makes life very, very easy. So having sorted that out, we went back, picked up our bags from the hotel, jumped on the tram at Alicante up to Benidorm, and then we checked into our digital nomad accommodation. So what we've got here is we've got, um, we're a street back from the seafront. Sea so I'm sitting at the kind of what would be your kitchen table where you're supposed to eat your meals, but we always eat our meals on the balcony. My wife's reading a book on the balcony beyond the room. I can see the sea and Benidorm Island, and I can see the beach from my 10, I'm 10 floors up in my apartment. So the apartment itself, it's all self-contained. It's modern and refurbished. We've got a nice settee there, a widescreen telly. We've got a, a kitchen with, it's it's a partial kitchen. It's got a microwave and you can kind of cook things in the microwave. Plus it's got a, a couple of hobs there, toaster, kettle, um, 
Has it got a fridge? Yes, it's got a fridge. <laughs> of course it's got a fridge. Uh, we've got you know the beds here. We've got a nice wardrobe, a safe, drawers, and a nice posh um, you know, uh, bathroom as well. So it's extremely comfortable as a space for two of us to live. And of course, we get this courtesy of the hotel for the next month, which is great. So we arrived uh, on the Monday, and I think the Tuesday, we all met downstairs in the conference room. I'd already contacted uh, Laura, one of the German uh, digital nomads, because she was on the channels that I'm on, so it was easy to, to contact her. And we met all the digital nomads. So there's a lady who's in her 50s. Uh, she specializes in Excel and teaching Excel online. So we're the same sort of age group. Um, there's a, a gentleman, Orest, who's from um, Ukraine. He is a real digital nomad. Blimey, the stories this guy's got to tell. You know, he's been to over 100 countries. I think it's over 120 countries. And he's been into sort of danger zones and all sorts of things. And this guy's just been on the road four years, tra traveling four years, uh, you know, four years and years is what I mean, not four years. And he's got some incredible sort of adventures, but he's constantly on, on the road, lives out of a, a rucksack, um, you know, and, and has got amazing experiences. He can give you all sorts of tips about, about travel. It's amazing. And then there's uh, Marie and Laura, who are both from Germany. They're, I think they're 20, 30-somethings, uh, maybe 20s, 30s, early 30s. And um, they're both from Germany. Uh, one has an event planning business. Uh, the other has a Instagram training business. So we're all uh, mature. By mature, I mean we're not sort of 18-year-old TikTokers. In actual fact, what I found out is the tourism board here are separately working with influencers that's a separate program so we don't come into the into the influencer category uh, we're very much the digital nomad so we're very much people who can work anywhere so long as we've got an internet connection so we basically get a couple of key cards so we've got access to the conference suite we've got and, and another room that has uh, separate desks and that's supposed to have um, you know super fast Wi-Fi, and so we you know we can work here quite comfortably uh, and for free. Obviously, we just swipe the cards and we get access to the facilities, and um, and also the tourist board have laid on activities for us as well. So we've had a whale of a time while we've been out here. We had the introductory meeting. We've been out on. Uh, electric bikes we get all of this this is all laid on for us by the tourist board we've been out on electric bikes and uh, where do we go with the electric bikes so we go we go for tapas and drinks and it's all you know it's all kind of paid for and then among the digital nomads we've also arranged trips between ourselves i'm quite tired as i record this because uh, uh, we've been out today on more electric bikes and we went up um to uh, a monument and I, I've walked interestingly I've walked that with my wife a couple of times but on the electric bikes my goodness if you've never tried one of these electric bikes try one they're absolutely amazing they're not like a, a motorbike they're they are a normal bike with gears but it's it's like it's power assisted so you've got to pedal but when you pedal it it's effortless it's it's amazing some of the hills in Benidorm are they're just huge some of these hills and I've walked up them and believe me you know you it's you've got to take water with you and wear a hat when you're doing it but on the bikes it's just an absolute breeze they're amazing things electric bikes if you ever get a chance to try one you know do try one they're very easy to get used to so today uh, we, we went uh, into a national park we on the electric bikes and then we went uh, we went waterboarding so you know like um, surfboards we were on surfboards and we had paddles and there was a lady sort of teaching us, trying to get us to stand up and paddle on these things. So we were out at sea with the boards. Uh, earlier this week, 
I wanted to go jet skiing, so I took a jet ski out. I could, when I look out my window, I can see the island in, in the distance. And we, we went round that island. We were, I was standing up with a jet ski having photographs taken, and then we, we came back. I, I almost can't believe I went that far out at sea on one of these jet skis. And we, we, we did it on our own. He gave us a little bit of guidance. I mean, they're fairly straightforward. It's just a throttle and a brake, and you have a little key that you plug in so that if you fall off, it cuts the engine. And, of course, we all had buoyancy aids on, so there wasn't an awful lot that could go wrong, frankly. And, you know, If you're very nervous of the water and you fell in, that, that might be a bit nerve-wracking. But there wasn't an awful lot that could go wrong. You were with a very experienced instructor, and he basically sort of put you in order of, of who he could trust so that, you were closer to him if he couldn't trust you that much and if you were reliable and looked like you knew what you were doing you you were at the back so that was an amazing experience doing that and on Tuesday I'm going uh, horse riding with Marie who's who's ridden horses before and I I rode horses when I was a youngster and of course when I've been in Benidorm in the past we've always been here in winter all these activities have closed up for the winter although Benidorm is a lovely place to be there's loads of things you can do these activities are all closed when I'm usually here so I'm seeing all sorts of things here as well as the things that are being laid on by the tourist board I'm seeing things thinking I want to have a go at that so I did the, the jet skiing and I'm going horse riding on Tuesday and I want to rent one of these electric scooters that you see everybody flying around on in the cities these days um, they've got they're really good in Benidorm for cycle paths you've got you know, lots of protected and well-marked properly done cycle paths all over the city so um, I'm going to go and do that and have a go of that so I'm, I'm looking at all these things that I want to do and the tourist board are laying on some of them and then I'm filling in the gaps uh, at my own expense like with the jet skis which was just an amazing experience also this week uh, yesterday and Wednesday my wife and I went back down to Torrevieja so Torrevieja if you've been listening you know, for the last six months is where we stayed over winter. And we have a translator there, Sebastian, who we use, who's just been brilliantly sorted out some banking issues for us. Um, you know, when it's my pigeon Spanish just isn't good enough and you just need somebody to explain what's what. Sebastian's helped us with that. He helped us with all our registration and he's, he's just been a real help to us. So we decided that it was easier for us to let Sebastian organise the appointments for us. And we went back down to Torrevieja on Wednesday. We jumped on the bus at Benidorm. Uh, we had the express bus from Benidorm to Alicante. Then we took the sort of tourist bus from Alicante down to Torrevieja. We stayed in Torrevieja overnight. We had an appointment with Sebastian on Thursday. It took about 10 minutes to get, they're called digital certificates. It's actually a really great thing in Spain. For all the administration they have in Spain, these digital certificates, I wish we had them in the UK. But basically what it does is it... it it's a security device, which means that you can submit, you know, government documents, um, and it's a, a little certificate that's unique to you. And you get a, when you register, you get a special code and things that you have to set up, and it basically authenticates, uh, you know, government transactions that you're doing. And what that saves you having to do then is, is is to line up in all the queues that we've had to line up in. So, you know, they've got this fairly old-fashioned system where it takes forever to line up in a queue, and it. it it drives me spare and then they've got this brilliant system which means you could bypass all of that but you have to go through all this process that we've gone through this residency process uh, and getting this card you have to go through all that process to sort this out so all we did in this appointment was we just flashed our new residency cards gave them our email address and our spanish mobile phone numbers and off we go i've got all the paperwork and we're good to go so that that 
should well as far as i know that's it that's all we need now in spain you know spanish bank account residency we've got everything we need for spain now so we've got to do over summer is decide whether we're coming back here in winter and staying so that's the next kind of uh, you know personal move that we've got to do but i'm so pleased that i did this digital nomad project because i you know it's covid times for goodness sake i was there going through all the is this a responsible thing to do should i be doing this uh you know is it too soon i've only just got back for goodness sake I mean, you know we were in torrevieja said oh it feels like five minutes since we were here well it was five minutes since we were here that's why so, you know so it, it did feel i wasn't sure whether i should i should do it but it just came up at that moment in time and i thought i've got to go for this now i'm really uh, enjoying it and as part of the project i've been running a Benidorm Digital Nomad podcast and I don't have very low expectations of this it's really just if you want an audio diary of, of what we're up to and I've used Anchor which means it's for free but I've interviewed all of the digital nomads I've interviewed Antonio who's our host here at the tourist board uh, interesting I said to Sebastian when we were down in Torrevieja I've done an interview with him and also I've just recorded some of my thoughts about Benidorm my favorite places that I like to go whether they're in the city further afield uh, what my connection is with Benidorm you know how I've fell in love with the resort and then also some travel tips of my own the sorts of things that I use as a digital nomad and also some travel tips that I've picked up as I've gone along and I think we'll have about 15 or 16 episodes by the time I leave Spain but already because of the way I've keyworded it and the way that I've got it listed on Apple and things like that they already the podcast if you do a search for uh, Benidorm digital nomad podcast or this is the one I'm pleased about Benidorm podcast already my podcast content is coming up on page one of the search engines and so my kind of strategic I think I've probably already told you this my strategic aim with doing this podcast is that if we do move up here on a more permanent basis no one has got an English language podcast with Benidorm and I find that absolutely remarkable so it's wide open for a podcast about Benidorm and I found it surprisingly easy to find affiliate connections uh, products that I use and can affiliate for and, and derive income from um, so I've, I've obviously embedded these affiliate connections that I can earn money on into the podcast now it might never go more than 16 episodes uh, it doesn't matter if it doesn't go more than 16 episodes because a podcast will just sit there forever and it will constantly find a new audience and those people will or will not click on your affiliate links it becomes a an autopilot kind of business but I just want to see if there's anything to play for in Benidorm because if we do move up here there is no English language podcast and I think well I'm quite happy to do that and, and at the same time in the way that the BBC was good for this because you've got a podcast people are always happy to talk to you and when you talk to people it helps you to get under the skin of a, of a community you get to know all the movers and shakers so at a strategic level that's my kind of interest in doing that podcast and that's why that's what I'm focusing on as my project out here so if you're interested in that it's anchor.fm forward slash Benidorm Digital Nomad I think that's right um but i'll put a link on the show notes for this week but that's pretty well what i'm doing here um, having an amazing time so pleased that we came can't believe we're two weeks in but we've got another two weeks left we're going on a jeep safari i think it is next friday uh, we're going on a trip out to sea on on a boat um antonio i was just saying to antonio i wouldn't mind going up to the water park today because that's never been open when i've been here he was saying oh yeah it's something we could organize for you uh, i'm even trying to get them interested in park runs in Benidorm as well they don't have any park runs in spain and uh, we were having a lovely we had a lovely three-course lunch today in the old town in Benidorm just to, to wrap up the the day's activities that we've been doing 
And um, I think Antonio was quite interested in part running Benidorm. So I'm hoping that I might even make some progress there. So all in, you know, it's been a great uh, experience. It hasn't been onerous in terms of work. Generally, we've met, I think we've met about three times so far. There are obviously socials. I was out last night in the old town in the bar, you know, sitting with people having some drinks in town. From a COVID point of view, it's been very interesting because, you know, I've spent the year keeping my guard up. Um, The good thing about Spain as it has been a winter is that we're only meeting outside. Interestingly, the majority of the younger people that I mix with have had their COVID vaccines, but not all of them. So we are pushing the envelope a little bit more than I would have done in the UK. We've got I think we've got four COVID test boxes that we've we, we got from UK chemists. You can get uh, packs of seven COVID tests in the UK. So we're testing ourselves every couple of days or, or when I sort of think I've been in a situation where perhaps it would be prudent to test. You know, we're just keeping an eye um, on the tests. But for me, it's almost it's been an introduction back into the real world in that I'm still not doing things indoors. I still won't do things you know, indoors when you're close up to people or busy, though, to be fair, there's none of that going on because it's not allowed uh, in Spain. But because it's all outside, you know, I'm very happy sitting outside. Uh, The tables are still distanced and things like that. Um, Spain this morning have announced that they're getting rid of masks outside from the 26th of June, which is fabulous because we'll have, you know, about 10 days here without having to wear masks. And it is pretty uh, well, you'll know in the if you're in the UK, it's pretty hot in the UK when we left as well. So the masks outside are, uh, you know, it's pretty hot, and it's <laughs> so I'll be pleased about that to be honest with you. Um, but they're they're still going to mandate them inside. So it's been it's been interesting because I can't imagine what else would have helped me to bridge kind of the the pre-vaccine the the COVID world with you know this kind of new world that we're all emerging into right now so um, from that point of view I'm, I'm sort of quite grateful for, <laughs> quite grateful for it because I'm just taking risk is not the word but I'm doing more than I would have done so it, it's helped me sort of cu- come out my shell post covid but I'm still being extremely cautious with it of course all the activities we're doing are outside we're out in the sea and things like that so um, you know it doesn't feel like it's too much uh, of a risk but yet yeah, it's been a great activity and in two weeks time when I've got the last of the podcast diaries I'll sort of give you my final thoughts on how that's going and what I've got from it This podcast is supported by affiliate sales of memberships to the Alliance of Independent Authors, the professional business membership organisation for self-published authors. I found that I usually cover the cost of membership by using the special codes given out for free listings and revisions on Ingram Spark. Use a couple of those over the course of a year and your membership is easily paid for. However, Ally is much more than that. You can access expert advice, great support and community, a range of podcasts suitable for authors of all levels, and the amazing online conferences which gather industry titans several times a year in order to share their best tips and tricks. When you purchase your Ally membership through my affiliate link, you pay the same price as normal, but I take a percentage of the sale proceeds, which goes to support my time and effort in producing this podcast. To check out the best essential professional membership service for all indie authors, head over to paulteague.net forward slash ally. That's A-L-L-I. 
Okay, you don't listen to this podcast for Benidorm news, though hopefully some of you will be interested in that concept of remote working because I'm sure, well I know from talking to a lot of you, a lot of you hope to be able to remote work uh, either fairly soon in your career uh, or you're thinking about it already and making plans for it. So hopefully those little insights will help with that kind of digital nomad author uh, element or your aspirations in that direction. But let's get on with some writing stuff. And I got to tell you, no, there's no writing getting done at the moment. Uh, and, and I really can't. It's terrible, isn't it? But I can't see. I'm going to have to be back in the UK and settle again before I get back writing. Um, there's going to be no writing done out here. I can tell you that. Not even non-fiction. I'm just having. I'm just really enjoying myself. And why the heck should I? I don't need to. Um, I'm still marketing the books that I've got. They're still bringing an income in. And you know, I don't say this. I say this because I want to impress upon you that the more books you write the more you can rely on your back catalogue you don't have to be working all the time is what you know what I'm saying is you can take a break from it it doesn't have to be relentless you can take that time out and if you're still marketing the books you know I'm still I've got a promo coming up I think next week uh, I can't even remember who it is I booked it so long ago I'm still submitting to book bubs my Facebook ads are still running my Amazon ads are still running so it's not like I'm doing nothing but because we've created these income producing assets we don't have to be writing all the time once we've got a critical mass of work we can step aside if we need to for whatever reason whether it's for leisure you know or, or, or sort of family necessity it does allow us to do that so this, this is why I'm sharing that concept with you because this is what we're building here in the business and, and this is something we can't do with other businesses it's it's uh, one of the unique features of being an author I think. Anyhow so let's get on to some writing news and um, I found a brilliant resource which I want to recommend to you in case you haven't heard about this and I heard about it on the Wish I Knew Then podcast which I always enjoy listening to and what it is it's, it's a, a free bookbub promotions calendar. Now um, I can't remember the name of the chap who was being interviewed on the Wish I Knew Then podcast. He was very entertaining. I really enjoyed it, actually. Uh, he got a lot of good tips to share. But this chap had basically you know, worked out that he could survive on BookBub promotions. And he created a spreadsheet into which he'd programmed his books so that the spreadsheet automatically told him when he should be submitting the next book to BookBub. Um, you know, so it would just the, the spreadsheet would just take care of it and say next, 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 next. So it's like a sausage factory for BookBub. Well, um, Reedsy had taken that promotions calendar and Reedsy have finessed it to make it sort of better than it was originally. And you could get hold of that BookBub promotions calendar. What it is is basically an Excel spreadsheet. It's, it's uh, uh, I think it's a Google Drive sheet in actual fact. So it's free and you can just help yourself and adapt it for your own purposes. And it comes with instructions. So I will put on this week's show notes the link to the Reedsy blog. It's basically blog.readsy.com forward slash bookbub. And what you need to get, and you have to register for this, is you want to get the the bookbub, the free bookbub promotions calendar. But if you are doing bookbub promotions, and if you've got you know, one, two or three books which you cycle around, you need to get this uh, calendar and set it up so that, you know, basically you never miss a BookBub promotions opportunity. You, you don't forget about it and then think, oh, crikey, I might have got a BookBub this month. It's something that just helps you to manage that situation. And when you've got a lot of books like I have, it's very confusing to think, right, you know, 28 days from when? Is it 28 days from when I submitted it? 28 days from when I got the promo? And then 
as I've said to you previously, can I do my sci-fi, my thrillers? What order do they need to go in? It, it just takes care of all that management of BookBub. So I'll leave the link for the blog on this week's resources page, and I hope that's very useful for you if you are submitting for BookBubs. And talking of BookBubs, I've been at it again. I submitted my sci-fi seven-pack to BookBub for a 99 pence or cents deal and the price of it made my eyes water it was seven nearly eight hundred dollars which is you know a lot it's a lot isn't it eight hundred dollars and that book is now wide and that book now has a reasonable number of reviews on it it's 40 something like that it's that of, of that kind of number so it's got enough reviews to get a book bub uh, and as i said it was it is listed wide but they rejected it now i'm not really sure why they're rejecting this it might be because i it hasn't got a brilliant cover on it so it's seven books and i used i can't even remember what the resource was that i used but i found a nice um, basically it's a it's a make your own cover kind of situation so you, it basically book designers create a cover and they create a font and you can go into this i think it's book cover zone book cover zone it's just come to me in a dream i think it was book cover zone and Basically, you can go in and you can change the title, but it retains the font, and you can change the author name. You can change all the, the text fields, and it keeps the cover. But it's a fairly you know generic cover. It's not a, a stunning cover. And my only assumption is that because it doesn't have a bespoke cover, it's more of a generic cover because it's a collection of books, that perhaps BookBub aren't interested in that. So that's maybe something I'll have to tackle because, I mean, it is immense value as a seven-pack of sci-fi books which are you know perfectly reasonably well reviewed it represents incredible value so it's the sort of thing that ought to fly off the shelves in a sci-fi promotion in bookbub so because it's been rejected i think about maybe three times now maybe three four times now it's making me think okay so what's the problem with that book and the, the cover is what i'm coming up with so i may have to get a bespoke cover for that book just to make it look um you know more attractive for a book bub but yeah i've been rejected once again but you know what it's like before i came back with season four i was telling you that i'd been applying to book bub constantly constantly getting rejections and then all of a sudden they accept don't tell meg and they accept don't tell meg it's not even listed wide so you know who can tell how bookbub works i got one of these emails out of the blue it nearly got deleted because if you if you run a podcast like this you constantly get emails from people that you haven't solicited saying oh i've got a guest uh, you, you know who does this that and the other who i think would be interesting for your podcast and you think well you haven't even looked at the podcast because uh, I'm not taking guests at the moment, so I haven't been taking guests for ages. And they say things about your podcast which show that they haven't listened to it. And then they, they propose somebody who'd be completely unsuitable as a guest on your show. So I get a lot of those. And then I get a lot of people you know, trying to get me to promote stuff that I'm just not interested in or isn't relevant. But um, this one almost got deleted out of hand. And then I'm pleased I didn't because actually it's got some very interesting information and I want to share it with you. So it's uh, a gentleman called Nat Connors from kindletrends.com. So it's kindletrends.com. And Nat um, sent me an email and said, hi, my, name's, my name is Nat and I make an author data newsletter called Kindle Trends. And he gives me the URL kindletrends.com. Now, briefly, I give self-published authors on Amazon weekly and monthly data to speed up their research. So he, he generates cover montages, summaries of what content is popular in particular genres, and downloadable data to help you to optimize your ads, your covers, and your blurbs. 
And um, why I'm pleased about Nat is he's obviously done his research, which is always nice. So he says, since you write thrillers, you might be interested in an example of last week's newsletter for the mystery thriller and suspense overall category, which summarises the top 100. And indeed, I am very interested in reading that because that's my data. That's data I want to know about. And he says, since you talked about optimising the categories for your books, you might also be interested in this. And then he sends me another feature that Kindle, Kindle Trends does. So Nat says, I'm a genre fiction author, but I'm also a data scientist. Okay, so that's what they call it these days. Um, if this is of interest to you, let me know if you'd like to talk further. If you are interested, I'm happy to give you a free coupon for Kindle Trends so you can try the newsletter out for yourself. So um, now what I, I, I gave Nat some feedback, and my feedback basically was that um, the data is brilliant. Um, and there's absolutely no doubt about that. It's, uh, and it's, it's different data from what you're getting from Kalytics. So it, it is different. There is some overlaps with the kind of data you're getting from Kalytics, but it's the sort of data that you would get from Kalytics. It's genre specific. What I said to Nat was, I couldn't cope with that amount of data on a weekly basis. I, it would just, it would fry my brain. And I, I, I would be worried that I would, I would spend more time fretting about data and trends than actually getting on with the job of writing. So that was my feedback. And that's only because I can only take so much information before my, my head explodes. You know, I've got, as you know, I've got the attention span of a gnat. I generally want to know what are the key points here. Tell me what the key points are. Tell me what the takeaways are, what I need to know and what's going to make a difference. You know, I don't want to sit there analysing data forever. But there is absolutely no doubt at all that the data that Nat is assembling is really, really interesting data. Okay, and, and as I say, it's different, sufficiently different from Kalytics. So what I wanted to do is I, I just really wanted to share it with you and, and, and because you can make your own mind up. Uh, and you just need to go to kindletrends.com and then just start to sort of dig in from that point. But I certainly recommend that you take a look at it. I certainly recommend that you put it on your radar my only feeling was that that's the sort of information, maybe once a month, that's fine for me so that I can sit down, analyze it, see if I need to make any tweaks and then move on. And this is why I, I, I've said to you before with the, the, the Kalytics reports that I, I'm generally happy to buy an annual thriller and suspense report or the annual sci-fi report because realistically on a one report a year basis, I can sit down, go through it thoroughly, take the learnings out and then apply them in the business. But I, I couldn't do that and keep writing and doing all the other things we have to do, you know, on a weekly or possibly even a monthly basis. But I have no doubt whatsoever that the information that's being provided there is really interesting and really relevant. So that's my advice. Check it out and see how you feel about it. And, you know, if you want to use Nat's service, you're welcome to use it. And uh, I will be digging into it again, probably when I'm back from this <laughs> this uh, excursion to Benidorm and I'm sort of slightly less distracted from what's going on. Now, here's something controversial. Scrivener. Because I'm doing the digital nomad work, one of the sort of reasons that I wasn't getting down to my writing in Spain is that I've had this cronky Windows computer that I took out with, but I let one of my kids have my proper computer. And this... This Windows laptop that I'm using is so rubbish at, at starting up and starting software. You know, it's so it's just so slow that um, you know it would take me forever to open Scrivener. So I haven't really been inclined to use it very much. I'm actually recording the podcast into it now, but it's only because 
my software, really this recording software that I use is the last software that I'm using on a, on a Windows computer and, and Scrivener. And I did think, you know, maybe I ought to think about ditching Scrivener. There must be some alternatives that are in the cloud that work like Scrivener. And so I started to investigate that because I thought, if, I'm, if I am going to do a lot more traveling like this, you know, I, I've, it's a big novelty at the moment and I've been distracted and I haven't worried too much about writing. But actually, if we're going to do this on an ongoing basis, I do need to crack this. I need to write. I need to be productive. I can't just go off you know, having a nice time in the sun all the time. Um, it's been okay for a short amount of time. But on an ongoing basis, I need to sort this. So I started having a look around and I found something called Dabble. And I took a trial of Dabble. And Dabble seems to be the closest thing to Scrivener that works in the cloud, but that also lets me download the files offline. So if I haven't got an internet connection, I can still work offline. And then when I've got my internet connection back, it will just sync it up with the cloud. So I seriously am considering ditching Scrivener only because I basically want to be able to work from a Chromebook. You know, I, if I'm serious about this travel and work lark, then there's a couple of last things I've got to crack. And there are two pieces of software now that I'm using on a PC that I can't use on a Chromebook. And that is Camtasia, which unfortunately I love for recording this podcast. Um, I, I just, it's the closest thing that to what I used at the BBC, and, and I wouldn't be without it. And I, I can actually record this podcast in the cloud. I can record it directly on my phone. I can get around that one very, very easily. I use a, a cloud-based recording and editing system, which I don't mind at all, but I'll still always go back to Camtasia if I have the choice. Uh, I'm just trying to think what the software is called. I can't quite... Is it... No, I can't remember. I can't bring the name of the cloud-based editing software that I use you know, from the depths of my head. And Scrivener is the other one. It's a PC-based system. So um, I, my, my Dabble trial has um, expired now because I've been distracted by riding jet skis and things in Benidorm. But I'm going to come back to Dabble and have a look at it and seriously think about exchanging it for Scrivener. Now, again, I don't, I don't do that lightly, but I need to be productive. And Scrivener, it's, you know, it's pretty old-fashioned, really, as a downloadable software. That's a pretty old-fashioned concept these days. Most softwares are available in the cloud. And actually, what I would say is that if you're going to survive as a software, you need to be looking at a cloud version. So really, Scrivener ought to be looking at moving that into the cloud in its next iteration, I would say, if it's good to remain relevant. But in the meantime, Dabble does very much what Scrivener does. So I'm going to take a look at uh, Dabble and see how I feel. And also, when I was doing my interview with Dan Saul the other day. Dan also recommended another resource, which I've got diary to take a look at while I'm sort of back at my desk in the UK. Now, also related to Scrivener, and actually the conversation that I was having with Dan Saul in last week's interview, which related to ProWriting Aid and me moaning that the reason that I didn't really like ProWriting Aid was because you can't load it in a full Word document. Now, uh, Kat Bama wrote me an email. Thank you, Kat, for your email. And, and Kat's been listening to the podcast and just said that what Kat does is open the ProWriting Aid in a Scrivener project before turning it into a Word document to send to the editor. So ProWriting Aid keeps that binder structure, you know, of, of the kind of Scrivener projects, which is why we love it so much. And it sort of lets you edit it in, in the main frame. So um, I'm going to try that again, but I've tried ProWriting Aid in Word 
and I've tried it in Scrivener. Now, my experience in Scrivener was that it screwed up the formatting on the page. If I remember rightly, it, it made the letters go big and it lost my formatting and, and it really didn't look like what I'd put in the Scrivener document at all. So I have given ProWritingAid a pretty good run for its money, but it really isn't working for me just yet. I would like it to work for me because, as I said in the interview with Dan last week, you know, when so many people get value out of something like ProWritingAid, um, I, I want a piece of the action. But when things slow me down, if they interrupt my process, then they're going to get ditched pretty quickly. So I have fed that back to ProWritingAid. When I ended my my trial subscription, I said, you know, this has to be able to load in a full document. And this has to be able to load in, in Scrivener properly. Now, I will go back to what Kat said, and I will try that again when I'm back at my proper PC back in the UK. But, you know, in the meantime, I'm hoping that ProWritingAid maybe tackle some of these problems so that we could use it in a massive document and it doesn't sort of screw the document up. Because, you know, that's our process. These tools are here to help our process, not to hinder our process. If you hinder my process, you're ditched straight away. So you kind of need to keep up with me with as far as softwares are concerned. The other thing I would say is I actually find the checking systems in Word pretty good these days. You know, again, uh, what I was saying about the uh, Kindle Trends project, what I think you've got to be careful of is that you don't overwhelm yourself with so much information that you're almost paralysed by it. And this is one of my concerns about things like ProWritingAid, is it, you know, it'll tell you this, that and the other. And you, you know, whatever became of just writing a good story, just write a good story. And you can analyse it so much and you know, make sure you're writing 90% like John le Carre and all that sort of stuff. But I think you've got to keep your own voice in there. These are indications. They're supposed to be helpers. They're not supposed to hinder the editing process. And at the moment, as I say, it's sort of hindering it a little bit too much for me. Now, again, I have got a long form with this. I used to run my books through Autocrit. And Autocrit, um, you know, Grammarly, you can switch a lot of the things off. So it just gives you spellings and punctuation and things like that. So I, I do quite like Grammarly. Autocrit used to give you all sorts of things about repeated words and things like that and and I again I gave up with autocrit because I thought I could spend just for hours you know just hours looking through all this data and information and does it do you remember this phrase I've told you about the sort of British Olympic team about does it make the boat go faster there's a point at which it doesn't make the boat go faster there's the point at which you get so much data so much information about what you're doing that you are overwhelmed and almost paralyzed by it and what i'm trying to find is a balance between you know improving your work obviously you want to improve your work your punctuation your grammar you want to find your ticks and the, your problems but people get caught down rabbit holes and this is what always worries me with these data softwares that you get caught you know analyzing and analyzing and going down this subsection and before you know it you ain't getting the writing done and you're just fretting about everything. And, and so I think there's a balance to be achieved there. So these editing softwares, they've got to do a lot to convince me. But Grammarly and the built-in Word, I actually find it for a very light touch, are very useful. They, they help to at least pick up some of my errors when I'm using them. But anyway, I mean, this is kind of an ongoing thing. And I'm always happy for somebody to give me this brilliant piece of information that solves my problems for me. So, you know, if you have got the information, if you've got some sort of tips to share that make that easier, 
do let me know because I'm always receptive to somebody saying you're completely wrong Paul this is how you do it and you think oh wow it's as easy as that so if you know that information do pass it on now those of you with very very good memories will remember that was it half a year ago so certainly the last year I was starting work on a book called End of Men and it was what I was calling my literary science fiction book. It was a sort of high concept science fiction novel. It wasn't the usual laser guns and aliens stuff that I write, you know, and spaceships exploding and things like that. It was more leaning towards uh, literary fiction in, in, that there wasn't an alien or a laser gun in sight. And it was called End of Men. And then I discovered that there is a book already called The The End of Men, which has just been published. And I bought the book as soon as it was on pre-sale. It was delivered to my Kindle, and I'm about two-thirds of the way through it now. And I'd said to you, you know, number one, I was struggling with the book in that I'd, I'd written it, read it, my wife had read it and said, you know, it's not, it's not quite working. And I'd read it again and tried to tidy it up and thought, mm, it's not quite working. And then, I'd, and then I'd found that this book was out. And it was pretty well the same kind of dealing with the same subject matter that, that mine was, which, you know, what, 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 is a, what would a future world be like if, if, if men weren't around, if, if, you know, they'd been wiped out through, as it is in the case of this other book, a, a virus. And, and because this book was dealing with the subject matter, I thought, well, it's fine. You know, it's fine. Somebody's it's kind of dealing with the concept. So I've re- I'm two thirds of the way through that book now, and it's interesting. It's it's a good book, and it's certainly well written. I love the concept. Obviously, um, it, it's a completely different treatment to what I was going to do with it. And it's also even more interesting because it's a, a worldwide kind of pandemic that affects only I think it's about ninety percent of men. And it comes, obviously, at a time when we're in the middle of a pandemic. So you can't sit there saying, oh, this is science fiction. This could never happen. So it's interesting from that point of view, too. And, I, and I'm enjoying the story, but it hasn't, it hasn't compelled me. And I was trying to work out the reason why it hasn't compelled me. I think that's because it's told through the eyes of multiple women. By, by um, multiple, I mean multiple. I mean, there must be 10 12 different storytellers through the book uh, from different perspectives in different parts of the world and that does sort of make it short and sharp and varied but I think that the reason that it hasn't compelled me is that it hasn't got a central character so clearly the central problem is is how is humanity going to adjust and survive uh, with just very, very few men, you know, with about 5 to 10% of men left in the population. And, and so, of course, that, that's interesting. But because it doesn't have a central character with a central dilemma, in many respects, the central character is the world and the future of the world and, and how the world is going to survive. So I haven't found it as compelling as I expected it to be, even though it is very interesting and it raises lots of interesting topics so what that's made me think of is well I didn't I didn't name mine end of men now I'd have to come up with another sort of title but and it is shoved onto a pile that may not get looked at for a very very long time at the rate I'm writing at the moment but I might revisit that book because my the story that I was going to tell did very much have a a central character who had grown up in a future world where uh, there were no men and then for a very specific reason men came back into the world uh, for quite a controversial reason 
uh, and, and there's all sorts of you know politics and things gone in the past. There's all sorts of I, I plotted it out as a trilogy as well. Um, so so I may come back and revisit it because although I've enjoyed the story, it hasn't been the compelling read that I expected Stroke wanted it to be, and so I feel like it hasn't blown my story out of the water I feel like there's still a story for me to tell there that is completely different even though it still deals with the same core principle now I'm not at the end of this book yet but I also know what my kind of core conclusion was as well I had a core conclusion that I wanted to make in the book so uh, you know I just thought I'd update you with that and to say that's gone back onto a very general pending pile and I may come and revisit it again and lastly for this diary, I just wanted to mention a blog post that I spotted in Written Word Media this week. So these are the people who do Bargain Booksy and Free Booksy. And I've recommended to you before, I've said that the blog posts that they're producing these days are really high quality. Well, this blog post is how to write a book to market. And they're just talking about different elements of writing a book. And interestingly, one of, one of the things that they've surveyed is should you write books in a series? And the survey kind of shows that authors think, yes, you should write books in a series, but readers don't care. And I thought, well, that's very interesting. This is why, because that's contrary to what I, I say to you. But what I would still say to you is, you know, yes, I'm sure readers don't care. But in terms of their behavior, if you hook them on a first book in a series, from a financial point of view, they will go and buy the other books in the series. And that makes you more money easier. So what I found with individual books is that, yeah, of course you sell individual books, and that's absolutely fine. But in the way that when you write a trilogy or a series, somebody will read the first one, and then if you write the ending correctly, they'll be compelled to write books two, three, and however many more you've got. The problem with a standalone is they might love the story, but the friction to go from one standalone to the next standalone is much greater, I think, than it is to just pick up the next book in a series. So regardless of what that says, my personal experience is that writing in series is better from an author point of view and from a money-making point of view. But um, form your own judgments on that. But that is Written Word Media, and I'll put the link to that blog post, How to Write a Book to Market, on this week's show notes. Okay, that is it for this week's diary. I just wanted to reiterate and to remind you, if you haven't caught the most recent diary episode, that this podcast will be finishing in two episodes time. So we've got another interview episode next week, so long as the technology uh, plays ball with me. Uh, if not, you'll have a, a very impromptu extra diary. So hopefully the interview episode will work uh, next week. It'll be echoey again, I'm afraid, because the problem with not having carpets anywhere is that the rooms are fairly sort of uh, echoey. There's nothing to absorb the sound. Uh, I might record that interview actually up in the apartment next week because uh, I think the sound's slightly better in the apartment than it is downstairs. The only difficulty is, is that the internet speeds are slower up here. I can get a better internet speed downstairs in the business centre, but it's much more echoey there. So I, I'll, I'll make some decision before we record the interview uh, next week. So interview next week, and then on the final week, and that'll be at the end of the Digital Nomad program, I'll sort of give you a summary of the Digital Nomad program. I'll review the quarter two goals that I had and look ahead to what's coming next as far as my author career is concerned. And then I will be closing down 
this podcast. That will be the last episode. As I said last week, I won't return to it unless there's something really, really substantial, like you know, all of a sudden somebody's offered me a traditional deal or something like that. But I won't be doing the ongoing episodes um, after that date. Okay, so another author interview next Saturday, and then another podcast diary, and we're done. Um, I'm going to go and enjoy being a digital nomad. There is some work getting done, honestly, but there's also a lot of play getting done, and it's great fun. Um, I'll be back in two weeks' time with a diary. Have a great week of writing. Speak to you soon, and bye-bye for now. You can check out the show notes and listen to the back catalogue episodes at paulteague.net forward slash podcast. If you've heard something that's helpful to you in your author business and you'd like to support the show, then you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Paul Teague. That's it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you have a great week of writing. From me, Paul Teague, bye-bye for now.